0: people welcome to people my dog would like and this week my guest is paul fairhead hi paul hi lizzie paul has over 30 years commercial experience in strategic and leadership roles across australia and southeast asia he spent 20 years working in vietnam and as a result is an extreme business generalist having represented companies from agriculture manufacturing media mining and retail after running Australia's largest independent design thinking firm, Huddle, and taking it global, he has a keen eye for pathways to new markets, businesses, and developing opportunities. He's recently been appointed as the inaugural CEO of HR startup Yaktrack, and today we are here to talk about Paul's musings on leadership, Australia's economic future, and who he gets inspiration from, amongst other things. Hi Paul, welcome to People My Dog Would Like.
1: Thanks, Lizzie. Um, could I just start? This is a, a conversation rather than an interview, and I'm just curious. I, I love the name of the um, the podcast. How did you get there?
0: <laughs> um, it was recommended to me by someone who's very dear to me, and what, what resonated with me when I talked about people my dog would like would be that dogs have an innate sense of people around them who are nice and people around them who... aren't aren't authentic. That's probably the best way to put it. Perhaps not very kind. So I thought, you know, when I'm considering the musings on the future of Australia, I want to be looking at a compassionate future. And in order to have a compassionate future, I think you need to have humans in there designing a compassionate future. So that's why I think cha-cha is a pretty good filter for me.
1: Okay. And that's the reason she's sitting next to me here today, I (laughs) gather.
0: That is the reason. She's okay. Sitting next to you. Hopefully, she won't be uh, making much.
1: Well, hopefully, she doesn't bite, and she likes me by the end of this. So, <laughs> yeah. so, thank you.
0: First off, tell me a little bit about Vietnam. I know you spent a long time there. That fascinates me. Um, how did that come about? When did you go there?
1: Um, I, I, I tend to say sometimes it was a, I, I got there because it was a good idea at the time. Um, in, in reality, I was twenty-one. Uh, Vietnam had just uh, a year earlier in 1989 uh, opened its doors to foreign investment, and I happened to meet the Australian foreign minister who'd just come back, and he said if I was 21, I'd go to Vietnam. So a bit like uh, Paddington Bear, armed with a letter to the ambassador to look after me, I uh, headed off to Vietnam.
0: So what happened when you got there? How did that go? Just... You know,
1: packing up your bags. Uh, it was it was interesting. Um, I had to stay uh, in in a guest house where only Australians stayed, um, which used to be Ho Chi Minh's old bunker, which was pretty pretty cool. Wow! It was it was different. I was the the um, I think the only Australian that was not at that stage not um, part of an embassy or an NGO um, until the Telstra guys turned up. So it was really interesting. Um, a bit a bit hard. But I think when you're young, th- those – I think it would be very hard now to do that and transition once you're used to the way of living in the West. But when you're young and uh, seeking adventure, I think you, you adapt really easily to lack of power and no cars and um, warm beer, but you get there.
0: So tell me about some of the adventures you had there. I, I mean, whenever anyone talks about Vietnam, they – you know, they wax lyrical about the food. They talk about how amazing the cities are. What what are your kind of adventures that you
1: Oh, I, I think, I, I mean, if you, if you had a late-night version of this show, I could go into some of the adventures. <laughs>
0: there's no whiskey. Uh,
1: Sorry. There's no whiskey and cigars to be had. <laughs> I think to put it in context for people that, that may have recently gone to Vietnam, when I moved to, to Hanoi, uh, it was a city of eight hundred thousand people. Wow! And it's, how many? It, how
0: many live there now? A
1: bit over six million. Oh my god! So it was like being in a video on fast forward.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: everything happened really quickly uh, when I got there. Uh, there were the, the one or two Russian cars on the road that the government had. Apart from that, and and few motorbikes. It was all push bikes. Wow. Um, you know, and uh, the funny anecdotes of when they put the first traffic lights in that. Um, everyone would fall off their push bikes because they weren't used to stopping. So they'd get to the lights and not be able to balance because <laughs> the, the bikes—the bikes were only one size. So if you were a bit smaller, you fell off. Um, and it's just—it's just, it's just growing. Uh, it's, I think, uh, there's a there's a great difference between um, Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh um, purely because of the isolation Hanoi had in being sort of cut off from the West since f- 1954. Um, Really loving, friendly people. It mm. was a great experience. Um, what did well, you
0: learn? What was the? What would you say you learnt in the? In
1: the I, how many I, years were
0: you there? I how think many,
1: a, a bit over twenty. I think the one thing you learn when you're constantly dealing in foreign languages is, is to read people and be empathic. Yeah. You You tend not to. You tend to. Um, be intuitive about what's being said rather than listen to the words, and I think that's a skill that I've taken forward with me. Mm. You learn to read a room and read it, read the vibe a bit more.
0: Mister Diplomacy.
1: Yeah, I, I, but it's not even. It's actually genuine, though. It's, it's it's that empathy and and working out where people are coming from and, and understanding what it is that their um, their background is and and what they are, what they're seeking in an exchange. Mm-hmm as opposed to the language, and I think we get so caught up in, in our society around language these days and it's a bit of a bugbear of mine the way language is taken on a, a life of its own and there's consultants speak and all these things. Um, but So an interesting story around that is the first project I did after a few years was a property development. Mm-hmm. Um, who
0: did you do that
1: with? I did it with the, the Vietnamese Army, but to, I had a team of staff. And, and
0: As you do, the Vietnamese
1: Army. Yeah, as you do, because they own the land, so that's <laughs> who do you deal with, the biggest landowner? Okay. Uh, and, you know, I had sat with one of these generals and he was responsible for shooting down uh, American fighter planes when they came over, so he had some good stories to tell. The, the interesting part of, of, of this, to go back to it, was mm-hmm. I had to teach my staff about real estate because in a, in a state-owned system, no one owns property. Yeah, right. So how do, you, how do you start to get their head around property trading and investing in property? So I spent six months playing Monopoly every day with my staff um, which was interesting because the only thing they ever wanted to buy was the Waterworks Electric Company and the railway stations.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, because that's what the government owned and they had the power and you could charge people for it.
0: Oh.
1: Um, after, so they uh,
0: sold them as revenue. Absolutely. It was, it was
1: utilities. And to to take it to the end step, so we did a property development and that uh, apartment building still stands and it's called Mayfair. Oh,
0: you're kidding
1: me. <laughs> no. so, uh, yeah, so that was – you you have to – one of the great things about doing that in in an emerging country is, you can make no assumptions about people's knowledge. Yeah. So, we we're commercially intuitive here because our parents and our grandparents have actually have, have been in business and they've worked and they've paid taxes and had a whole a, a lot of stuff. Is actually we, Edu, we take we've
0: had a whole education. We, 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 we're program.
1: brought up into it, and it's, it's somewhat intuitive. Where mm. when you start from scratch, you've got to explain. Well, people go, why? And I think, you know, that's something that Simon Stinnett goes on about a lot now, but when you're taking, when you're starting at a, at a zero-sum game, you have to bring everything back to the why. Mm. So why would we do this? Why would we build apartments for foreigners? Mm. And so well, if, if they've got a safe place to live and it's secure, they'll bring their families here, then there's more like likelihood of investment coming in. Yeah. Uh, embassies can do more aid work. They can bring more people in so it makes sense rather than, um, you've you've got to go back to the core of, say, why a hotel exists or, mm-hmm. or why do you have taxis and not just get lifts. Um, so so it's, it's a lot of that.
0: So that sounds very interesting, having worked in property and particularly clearly working with the Vietnamese government. But what other... I mean, I, I mentioned that you've been in manufacturing. I understand that you've been in retail. Tell me a little bit more about those episodes in your life.
1: The the retail is, is funny because Vietnamese can be... Um, Honest, and we, um, my uh, former partner, and I set up a, a, a chain of female clothing stores, mm. um, and we were very successful co- because we were the only store in the country that did sizes above a size eight. So every expat woman from any nationality, and even some from Hong Kong, would fly down.
0: What was the name so of the
1: company? It uh, was Things of Substance.
0: Okay. Um, but... Is it still there?
1: Yeah, still there on uh, number five now Tô Street, Hanoi. Um, <laughs> okay. But, uh, I, don't, I don't own it, and I, I wish. And the uh, we we left it to our Vietnamese staff. Oh,
0: that's very kind of you. Um, I won't ask
1: about that. No, <laughs> things things change, and we move on. But we had to. <laughs> we um, the the westerners would come into the store, and uh, rather than saying um, you look well today or how are you today. Um, my staff had a habit of saying, my God, you look fat today. Oh, my God, you're kidding. But to them, that was not an insult because fat in, in Asian culture means you're doing well and you're, you're wealthy and, and you're exuberant and you've got enough money to feed yourself to be big. Yeah. So we had to sort of um, uh, sort of mould them into – in do, 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 do some work in customer service. Do some work customer service that, that – um, And it's something I talk about. It can be authentic, but you need to be mindfully authentic.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. It reminds me of when I was in Vietnam and actually experiencing real uh, honesty from a couple of the people there who clearly didn't feel that they were offending me but were being very authentic when they, you know, talked about the size of my behind while I was trying to buy a pair of jeans.
1: Yeah, they... uh
0: they just said you're very big, madam, very big, and I just remember feeling mortified. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think I was even that big. I think you know, people, I was a size ten. I was a size ten, and I'm five ten. I was not big, but they were looking at me like I was big. So yeah, I can imagine.
1: But you are, you are, you are living. It, it, they are. I mean, it is. They are a, a diminutive race of people. So. Yeah. Um. Uh, I noticed Vietnamese retail stores would buy uh, Western mannequins to put the clothes on, but the jeans would never do up. So the jeans they had to sell in their stores to their customers were way too small for a, a, a mass-produced mannequin that you would buy from a factory in China. So that's so that's where you get the difference from. And But another funny part of that is if you get um, Australians or, or Westerners in general and you ask them to, to, to differentiate between different... Um, Asian races, and uh, most of them can't do, They can't tell a Thai person from a Korean or a Chinese person.
0: Which always baffles me. I think it's very clear cut where people are from. But anyway,
1: but uh, but we, when uh, we had incidents in the in, uh, incidents in the store where a friend of ours had come in and they said, "Oh, um, someone came in to talk to you today." I said, "Well, who was it?" "Oh, it was a Westerner." Well, yeah, from where?" "I don't know. All you white people look the same." Wow. So it works both ways. Yeah. So I think we think that we're uh, uh, we 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 don't we don't have the uh, we haven't gone to the market on um, uh, uh, perceived notions of bigotry or racism. It it exists everywhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I know we could talk about Asia and we could talk about how few refugees some of those countries are letting in. So let's not go there for this this. This podcast, oh, and yeah,
1: and 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 those countries that uh, were um, Asian countries that were refugees uh, have now been recast in our political sense as migrants. So, um, yeah. it's, it's very interesting what thirty years and uh, uh, good Vietnamese restaurants does for our uh, branding.
0: Yeah, that is true. But I guess we can touch on that a bit later when we when we talk about leadership. <laughs> So, listen, you've been working in Australia for a while now. What are what are the takeaways that stand out for you since you've been working here? I mean, when did you get back from Vietnam?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I've been back about five years now, I think, um, and the transition was, was, was hard initially. Um, it's a bit, particularly in Melbourne, um, a bit more of a closed market. Yeah, right. Um,
0: I, I, what I've, do you
1: mean by that? Um, just to make connections, to, to, to start again, Um realising that the 20 years in Vietnam didn't really hold much sway in, in commercial um, you know, sort of sea suite sw- stuff. Here. Everyone goes, that was a great adventure, but what do you really do? So having to recast myself into a role and working out where my skill set was, um, I've often found it a lot easier in Sydney. Um, oh, wow! As, as,
0: so what as, would you say the difference is I
1: you, think between
0: Melbourne and Sydney, being oh. a newbie? So you're a newbie back in Australia, opportunities in Sydney, opportunities around the country...
1: I think Sydney, because it is probably traditionally our international city, a lot of people that live and work there are not traditionally from there. Um, People gravitate there. So there's a bit more acceptance for new people. I I think Melbourne has changed and I think seven years in a row on the number one of the Livability Index has brought more people here to come and work and play here. But with the the large international corporations are based in in Sydney and they're more open to um, people. Yeah, coming in. They're just. Is it more used to it? There's still the old school tie stuff, but it's not as strong as Melbourne. I think Melbourne. You, um, they want you to wear your stripes a bit more, and it's a bit more of where do you go to school or what footy club do you go for. I
0: was going to ask that. I wondered if Melbourne had the legacy of which school did you go to? Have you experienced? Yeah, it that? does,
1: and it's interesting. The people that I um, have uh, work with, uh, and, and even in huddle, I think of the. Twenty or so staff we had in Melbourne. I think only three or four were actually born in Victoria. Wow. Um, most people have come. You know, a, few, a few Europeans, a couple of Americans, people from Queensland or Perth. Quite a few from Perth. So I think I think you're getting more people that that come a, uh, come east from um, WA or um, go south from Queensland and uh, are coming to Melbourne. I think that was traditionally into Sydney. So it's becoming a bit more open around the culture.
0: And what are some of the other what are some of the other things that stand out for you here that you notice that you know as an entrepreneur who's come in who's you know obviously now working as CEO of Yaktrack what is it that you notice about the business ethos in Australia compared to for instance the work you know working in Asia
1: I think there's where where um I don't know if scare's the right word, but I think there's the desire to hold on to what we've got and anything that would put a risk to that we don't want to do. So so innovation becomes hard. People, um, if they're established, don't wanna put that at risk, if that makes sense. They're they're more inclined to be very um moderate and stable. Um Oh and not the not, legacy not,
0: institutions not, yeah, have got skin in the game. Yeah,
1: they've got so much skin in the game. I mean you you look at you, the, the drivers in the market have been mining, which is tr- ripping stuff out of the earth, or you've got banks with a sixty percent um, home loan book. It's building stuff on the land. There's not a lot of new creation going in there. and I think that's that's being addressed now. I think people have have, have cottoned onto that that you've lost the manufacturing jobs in the car industry. Um, people are a bit blind about that it was never a mining boom, it was an infrastructure boom. Yeah. Mining is and with new technology doesn't take that many people. Yeah. The 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 jobs were in when in, in building stuff and that's always going to have limitations. Um and, and when you're selling for infrastructure which was the Chinese market, again you've got deadlines on that. People just can't keep building roads and roads and roads. Mm. That's you run out of money. And you, we
0: don't need roads and roads
1: and roads. No, well that's the whole future.
0: Tony, Tony, just saying, <laughs> if you're listening, we don't need all those roads, Tony.
1: Um are you, are you, I don't, do I know a Tony? Are you referring to a?
0: Oh, just referring to a diminutive man called Tony Abbott who loves his budgies. <laughs> budgies
1: <laughs> oh, see, 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 I don't even know where you'd give a, a former dismissed prime minister any airtime, really, Lizzie. I think okay, that's just sorry, silly. There you go. Well, it's moving. Let's, let's on. move on. But that, but that goes, so the other thing that I've, I've seen, and it's come across in, in the work we've done with large legacy institutions, is, is the lack of leadership. Australia, um, I was, uh, Chairing a committee last year around small and medium-sized enterprises, and we at the beginning of this year we looked at, as a direction, what what's the if, if there was one thing we could change in Australia at the moment, what would it be? And unanim- And
0: contextually, is this about what future of work is this about future? I don't.
1: So we we were looking at how that the the driving engine in Australia is not large corporations. Four out of, four out of five jobs of the next 20 years will be created by organisations that fit within the small to medium-sized enterprise. Oh, I didn't. So, and, and that and that's a very that's from the 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 mum and dad owning a news agent three news agent to a company of two hundred people that turn over two hundred million dollars. Right. That's a medium sized enterprise. Yeah. So it's a it's a very um, broad, it's a broad basket. Brush. Very broad basket they throw everything into. But how do we get uh, medium sized enterprises to innovate? How do we get them to create more jobs? And it, it and it came down to leadership. That was the one thing that. Um, people in the room that came from a you – know, we had people who were playing in space, um, uh, large tech corporations, CSIRO. E- everyone said it's a leadership issue.
0: What but, do you mean by it's a leadership issue, as in it's a lack of leadership? Lack of
1: leadership. Well, we be- we become be- – because of that fear of losing what we've got.
0: Obviously, from a political point of view, yeah. they're very concerned about what they share yeah. to the – you know,
1: citizens
0: and and future of work.
1: So you become a manager. We're really good at managing stuff. We're really good at keeping the status quo going and managing and managing and managing. Right. And I I had a a, a meeting recently with someone from one of the big four banks. I won't name which one. And they have a a penchant for using consultants. And I said, why do they use consultants so much? And I said, because no one in the leadership wants to make a decision. Because if they get a consultant to make the decision and they take a course of action, they can always blame the consultant.
0: Yeah,
1: I've heard that
0: before. So, so the consultants cost them an arm and a leg, mm, but they take they take away the accountability.
1: Yeah, and so so where do you end up? You end up where you are now, where we've uh, um, to quote Umar Hake in his book Betterness, We have a really high rev count. Our, our wheels are stuck in mud, and they're they're spinning really, really. Deeply, but we're not going anywhere. There's no traction around it. There's a lot of political speak, and it, be it in a bank or be it in government or insurance, they're they're saying they're doing stuff for us, but there's no no traction around it. It's not changing.
0: Wow. So that's a fairly scary thought, because obviously part of the reason I'm doing the podcast, people my dog would like, is to be talking to these thought leaders about you know their game changing ideas their new initiatives their fresh startups and and interestingly going back to what you were talking about before in Vietnam was you know we had to try and teach them how the property market worked mm. what it meant to invest in property but i think you know on the flip side of that what's happened in australia is there's so much investment that's gone into property here that i don't think there's been enough investment in other things other things like new models like innovation i mean let's be honest it's it's Often lip service when companies say that they've got innovation uh, departments. I, I wonder what they're doing because they've still got the same staff. You know, they may have culled a few staff, but I, I, I struggle to see what innovative ideas are coming out of those organisations. And, and certainly, I guess, with, with media the way it is these days, you don't hear the success stories as much. And I'm wondering, do we not hear the success stories because they're not really there, because the leadership's lacking, because the communication's bad, because Australians need it. Australians need to hear those success stories. They need to hear the yak tracks that are doing well that are going to go global. They need to hear the huddle that are going to go global. Hmm. You know, they need the Googles and, you know, they need the apples here. So so what's happening in Australia I, I is think we're a bunch of managers. We're oh, all leading.
1: What's, it's it's regulation and I was I was at a, a job summit in New South Wales and we were talking about, yeah, you know, new businesses. And we were talking about Uber and, and the impact Uber was having on the you know, with the taxi industry, and it was um, I was the, the person talking to me said, well, do you realise before Uber came around, there was an Australian version of it, and the only reason it didn't work was because it followed the regulations set down for it in Australia, wow. where Uber didn't give a toss. Great. They thought we'll just go in and you'll change laws around us.
0: Yeah, which is how it should
1: work. Well, well yeah, yeah, and no. If you look at the, uh, if you look at Airbnb, for example, mm. which Australia is really one of the last developed countries on the bandwagon to be changing laws to deal with Airbnb. You've got housing affordability crises now in Sydney and Melbourne, mm. and a huge decline in rental properties being available to the market. Mm. So in you know, in Berlin in New York um San Francisco they they're taxing that they've modernized their system to 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 find the correct balance
0: to manage the new marketplace
1: what have australia done we've got a fucking working group
0: yeah that's we're, so, we're yeah, that or far a committee. Yeah, so we that so that it's it's, it's that stuff. Good.
1: It's like do something, change the law. Yeah.
0: Well okay. Smart I, Cities was always about smart policy first. Smart policy was critical and I guess when I was, you know, working at in my role as smart city convener, the one thing that I would often test is there needs to be policy changes here. Why are we working on an initiative without the policy change?
1: But if you because look the at the way
0: policy change is just going to trip us
1: up. but if, it, if you're doing policy for policy's sake, it's also hard. If you look at the way laws were written, laws were written when something was broken.
0: Yeah.
1: Laws were always came in as a result of something happening. Mm. You don't write the law first and hope something's going to happen. Mm, sure. Fair enough. So I think you've got to you you go through the, the the yellow taxis blockading the airport for the government to rewrite its its laws around ride-sharing and Uber. Mm. Um, you, you, you've got a huge issue with homelessness in, in the big cities in Australia but there's a, there are houses available but they're only going to Airbnb because it's so much easier because I'm not bound by the regulation that I can't get rid of a tenant if they're bad.
0: Yeah, okay, I see
1: where you're coming from. So you've, you've got to be working and I think that's probably the role of there was an innovation group set up within the Victorian government and what they wanted to be was the conduit. They didn't want to fund innovation. They wanted to help people that were innovative to find the right pathways and connections to make the change. Mm. And, and, like, that's government. Get the hell out of the way. Let the stuff happen and be there to actually help it become enabled.
0: Where could you say that you've seen a really good example of that in Australia? I mean, if I know I'm throwing you in the deep end there, but is there an example of a company that you've seen that has changed up the ecosystem that has forced the government to
1: I think I think they're 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 trying. I think I, I haven't seen a shining example yet. I know um, the work Shane Elliott's doing at ANZ, they they're pushing the boundaries of what it is to be a bank and right. and really going in and and becoming lean and and questioning everything that's part of their core legacy uh, a lot of the state governments are are playing with it i think the experiment of service new south wales has worked um flipping flipping government from being compliant based to being service based to going back to what it should be is that the government should be here to help you and yeah. and navigate you through rather than unless you fill out the form properly you're forgotten Mm. They're changing that, and I think the the service centres that Service New South Wales has done a good. Um, but when you go into the large corporates, that their their systems are so big and hard that they're not there yet.
0: Yeah, I think it's about it's about turning the Titanic around, isn't it? And that's where I wonder how is the future economy going to work here, you've got these big monolith organisations that have been going for, you know, some of them decades, Hmm. and they're starting to cull stuff now because you've got, you know, the emergence of AI, you've got the emergence of robotics, you've got machine learning. They are realistically definitely going to take jobs that were inherently mundane, Hmm. repetitive, for which they don't need human capacity anymore. So... What's your, what's your perception of what this kind of new economy is that's emerging? What What do you see as the future of work for people here?
1: I think it's got to be reframed differently, and I think I'll, I'll use that Titanic analogy that you, you've got a boat, and, and traditionally companies would transition that a faster boat would come past and everyone would jump ship as, as the boat pulled up alongside it and, and took off. With the, the rate of speed we're travelling at now, we're not waiting for another boat. We're getting beamed up to the Starship Enterprise. So, you, so you've got to create people that are more resilient and understand that there's going to be a whole lot of, not so much chaos, but there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Mm. And you, and what's missing, and I think it's why we're seeing the rise of these people, but what's missing is the storytelling as to what is next and, and why we are heading into uncharted waters, uh, but to feel safe about that, that we actually, we've got, We've got bearings. We know where we're going. We don't know if it's going to be rough or, or calm, but we know the direction we're taking. And I think we've got to have people more prepared around what is happening and not burying their head in the sand. And and, and too often I I hear, um has been a few times on radio in Australia particularly, um, you know, be it a Kurzweil or a Diamandis, people that are really at the forefront of future talk, and the journalists interviewing them go, yeah, I get it, but I sort of don't want to because if I actually take everything you're saying on board, everything in my life changes.
0: Yeah, it's pretty scary.
1: So how do you help with that? What do you say
0: to the mum and dads out there that have got their kids? You know, I've got a couple of kids. They're in high school. I genuinely am challenged by teachers who are asking them at 14 and 15 what they want to do with their life because I know for a fact 50 to 60% of jobs in the next five years, we won't know. So why would you be asking a and- kid at school who's going through all of the hormones that they're going through what they want to do in five years? I mean, there's, there's a disconnect between leadership, between mm. storytelling, so you're not engaging with the populace the way you could, and there's a disconnect between these enormous institutions which are called education, tertiary education as well, and what the market's actually asking for.
1: And I think maybe because there's no money in education and maybe that, that hasn't had to change, but if you if you go is back... You
0: just, ask, just ask Melbourne Uni. There's plenty of money.
1: Yeah, education. but you look at Melbourne Uni, like the report released yesterday, you, the, you're less likely to get a, a job leaving Melbourne Uni than you are from Charles Stewart University or something that's more practical. Charles Stewart. You know what I meant.
0: Yeah.
1: But it, go, but it goes back to that, you know, why is it that so many people... Loved Sir Ken, was it Ken Robinson's talk on the future Sir of education? Ken Robinson, yeah, that was. And talking about this, we we, we had this, I yeah, think. we had this industrial revolution model. So many people love that, have followed it, have, have re- referred to it, but nothing's changed.
0: Mm.
1: So, so, what
0: would you tell those parents, for instance, that are fearful about their children? Children's future, and, and they're wanting to future-proof, I guess, their kids. I, I'm going to be asking all my guests similar questions around this space because it's something that you hear again and again in the media about oh. how fearful we are about the new economy. What are the new jobs going to be? What, I think,
1: how do you prepare? For yeah, that? I think the way to prepare is to start to work out what are the what traits are the children starting to show. Because what, if we look at the future of work, it's about honing in on what we're good at and finding out how that fits into the ecosystem. Because it's what makes us human will be the differentiator. Yeah,
0: sure. So, and from the, the technology advancements you make yeah, So being a robot.
1: So, yeah, like, like if, yeah, and, and even, you know, so if they like playing sport or dancing or they're interacting, those things should be encouraged probably more than ever because it's how you interact as a human with other humans will be critical. Yeah. Um, but, but, but be patient. And I think the what's I saw a quote recently, but that, that David Bowie song changes, and, and it's like the, the kids actually know what they're going through. They're, they're fully aware of this as well, and they're starting to, to see where it can lead. And, yeah. and they're uncertain. And all we can do is support them and, and just make sure that we're developing their people skills that they're empathic, that they're human, Mm. that they know how to take care of a dog, that they feed the dog before they feed themselves. Those little lessons that you learn on the way through are really important because that's how they'll be judged. Because if the mundane um, is is taken over, what's your point of difference? difference? And your point of difference is you. You was every. We're all different. We're all creative in our own way. We can all problem solve in in, in in different ways. And I guess that's the
0: answer to the next question I had, which was, are we all going to become little mini entrepreneurs? I I think. Or, or are we going to become? I mean, you talk about, you know, your think, create, and do tank. Hmm. You know, think five, six, seven, eight, and I think, are we all going to become thinkers, creators? And doers. I think that we do
1: as Yeah, I think makers and doers. I think to say, if you go back, um, and um, someone said this, and it might have been a joke on my LinkedIn profile, a French person, that entrepreneur comes from you, you dream it and you do it. I don't think everyone's an entrepreneur. I think people might become sole entrepreneurs, which is finding something you're good at and tapping in with ideas. So if you are great at uh, creating. Websites. You won't work for a company that creates websites. You'll go to people that are doing something else and help them with their website, or you'll help them with their um, their language.
0: Many
1: yeah. So you've got your own skill, yeah. and you'll go from Our job to, and you'll go from job is, to job. Hey, to job. I'm great yeah. At
0: creating websites. What can I do
1: for you? Yeah. And people will start to create ecosystems.
0: Freelancer.
1: Yeah. And but you'll be part of, I think, a great ecosystem of people that want to work with you on certain <coughs> projects and bring your skills in and. Um, Nothing will stand in isolation anymore. Everything's got to be part of a bigger system, and we've got to be connected to the community. Uh, what do you, you
0: mean
1: by that? That, and I'll look at it from a say, a you know, we've, we're setting up a startup. I, I have no Can belief. Tell
0: us
1: a little bit about yeah. Uh, I, I, will get to that because okay. you've asked two questions, Sorry. but I, but the thing is. That, that any startup won't survive in its own ecosystem on its own. You've got to have partners. You've got to have alliances. You've got to have people that will support you, people that will use you. You can't just say, where we are in the traditional way, we'll close our, our IP off, we'll close all our thinking off, we'll be successful because we, we've got really good salespeople. That won't work anymore. You've got to find like minded people who are also out in the marketplace and to create
0: oh, an integrated ecosystem. Yeah.
1: And, and to, to, to help each other out because the, the, The change is so great that we're going through right now and people are confused around language. They're confused around, uh, you know, people think tech is a driver and tech's an enabler. It'll never drive. People will drive and you've got to understand how to use tech and and integrate it properly within what you want to do but what you want to achieve. Um, So to go to the other question. uh, So where does
0: Yak Track fit
1: into your... Yacht Track fits in in that and it, it came out of a problem that we saw that organisations are really good at measuring outputs and valuing people on outputs.
0: Oh, I don't. You'll have to drill that. So
1: outputs. So so, so yeah. you are measured on, say, your um, key performance in indexes or your net promoter scores, your KPI or MPS. You are valued on how many sales you do, how many people you made happy, what, how many, how many
0: meetings you, how many
1: meetings you had, how many letters you sent out, how many coffees you how made. How many
0: sales you made.
1: They're outputs. Mm. How do you understand the true value of the outputs if you don't know what's gone into creating that output?
0: Yeah, I okay. can't.
1: So it's like um, if the KPI was a cake, right. how do you replicate and scale that if you don't know what the ingredients were? Well, so, okay. so I think, Lizzie, you're really good at what you do. I want to scale that in the organisation. If I don't know how you got to being where you are at, it's very hard for me to scale it. But if I can then look at it from... Uh, uh, an app like yak track which starts to measure the inputs the organization
0: as a set of ingredients that yeah make the cake
1: absolutely you can so, work out
0: what parts of the cake can be scaled
1: what parts are redundant do you need more sales training probably not but you might be great to if you spend some time around uh digital marketing or how to use social media in in a new era yeah and and then you, by doing so that, that
0: was filling a hole that you found where at Huddle. I don't. Where, we, where, we we, or did you we just I, find that
1: I, I, I found it at Huddle, but every consultant I ever spoke to, and every client that used a consultant or a coaching group spoke to, going, all this stuff is great. It's great that you're helping us be more empathic. That you're teaching us to do things differently. But
0: how do we? Measure but it?
1: how do we measure it? So how do we know? Now you look for the, for an app like YakTrack. We're dealing in a market that's tens of billions of dollars is spent on training globally. Yet I've never met an organisation that can say what the return on investment for that training was. Yeah, okay. outside of sales, and we've got to move away from that. People uh, you know say in the insurance industry, it's not about sales anymore, it's about customer retention. right so it's easy to get a sale. How do you keep that customer because the cost Just of getting customers new customers is so fickle. and if, and if you don't live up to your brand promise, they'll go. So how do you make sure that you you've spent all that time getting how a client? How
0: do you create a sticky product?
1: And how or do you, how do you
0: create a sticky engagement?
1: Yeah, and how do you know why it's sticky? Like there's so many yeah. things that go into it, and what traditionally happens if if a if a if a, if a company's sales are on the decline. They tend to look at the people they've got first rather than um, external market forces of, oh, is the price cheaper somewhere else or is someone doing it better? Yeah, there's a but, competitor. Or- yeah, the first thing they do is go, oh, well, our staff aren't performing. Now, if, you, if you've if you measured your inputs, you know your staff are performing so you can, then, you can then focus your attention on external factors. What tends to happen is they'll get rid of people and change people over and get rid of a manager. So it's, I think... People want to be more accountable for their own growth. They want to have some autonomy in it, especially in large organisations. So having an app like Yaktrack, they can actually track how they're going along with their peers. And there's a dual accountability to see what their manager and team leaders are doing to help them to achieve their goals. So companies are all about this brand promise and we're here for you and we've got this great culture. Mm. But a lot of that is the company extracting it from the person and not putting it back in. So you you need to be able to look at what is being put back in by the organisation to help with the culture as well, and that's not table tennis tables.
0: Yes, okay, I see where you're coming from. So it's a lot, lot more of the help around the softer skills that they need to do their job in a better way, and also professional skills. I mean, you talked about the digital marketing skills that they might need. They may need more social media skills. That, mm. You know, there's a whole range of skills that might help them do better in their job. Yeah, they might not. be
1: Absolutely, better. and I think that. And it's
0: not a table tennis table.
1: It is not that, and it's also understanding that the future of organisations is an almost. If you take the, the 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 pyramid that's Maslow's hierarchy, and you flip <laughs> you flip it, the most important people in the hierarchy are your frontline people and your customers. Mm. So actually, the CEO or the leader sits at the bottom, and their job is to push everyone else up. It's not to. It's not a trickle down effect anymore. It's we've got to trickle up. We've got to you got to hire people and say, what can we do as an organisation to help you be the best you can be? So what can I do for you as opposed to I'm paying you $100,000, I want your blood and tears. It's like you're a smart person, how can I help you excel? Because if you excel, my company will benefit or I will benefit from that. Do you
0: feel that that's a common... Um Perception of leaders in the CEO space. I personally think that it's beautiful that you say it like that, but I don't. I haven't come across that a lot. It, it it takes. I don't know. It takes a a lot for me to believe that there are CEOs out there, particularly amongst, for instance, the larger institutions that really do care about the people on the ground.
1: I I think it's changing. I think they they're, they're trying a lot more than ever before. I think there's a lot of when people talk about putting the customer first, understanding that your frontline staff are a customer as well in an organisation. There, there is a shift. It will take a long time yeah. because you're not only bringing on the the board and the senior management, you're also talking to the superannuation funds. You're talking to the private investors who hold shares in the company who you are responsible over everyone else. It's your shareholders you've got to perform for. You, there are... They're not having the stories yet about creating resilient organisations. And if they could have that conversation and the, the superannuation funds would see a value in investing more in people, that rather than have a 10% return for the next three years, you have a 8% return for the next 30 years, understanding that there's value in that.
0: Mm. Rather
1: than, I'll take as much as I can now and not care about the future, I think we have to change that that, that story. and. It is changing, but it will, it will, it will change slowly. So I
0: expect you've had some, I guess, aha moments in your life, you know, particularly given some of the things that, you know, you've been talking about in relation to Vietnam. But have there been any aha moments that for you that really stand out in your working life, maybe in your personal life? But I'm, I guess here I'm talking about your professional
1: your professional life—the uh, realization that your shit stinks—I think when what? Well, that you're human. That oh. you're not. You're not. There were no golden childs out there. I think I was very, I was very, in some ways, unfortunate that I was very successful very young. And my first joint venture with the army—that was the, the the front page of the Fin Review when I was 24. And I, that, thought but, were, I thought I, I you thought, thought you I was smart where the reality is right place, right time, which is a lot of what success is, but there's luck involved. And, you know, I spent 10, 15 years trying to recapture that, that moment of being successful because I thought I was good rather than understanding you've got to keep working and, and, and slugging it out, and it is. Success goes to those who actually who don't give up. I mean, that's the thing you learn.
0: Is that what success means to you now? What does success mean to you now what's what's a successful day for you? What's a success? what what are your dreams what what do you feel is success?
1: if if I could have that conversation with you, I probably wouldn't be seeing people on the side about it. but um I think success is 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 bringing an idea to life. I think in some ways that you that you you see a gap in the market, or you see something that can be done, and you can make a change.
0: And personally, do you? And
1: and and I think well, that on a personal level, that's especially when you're a when you when you because um, it, it, it 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 can be very lonely at the top, and people talk about it. But it is when you're a CEO of a company, and you spend the majority of your waking life working with the people you work with, and none of them can really be your friends because you employ them all. Um, I get a lot of I get a lot of um, joy out of seeing the transformation of people.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's a, yeah. So okay. So, so success to me is rewarding.
1: Yeah. That you've that.
0: Or fulfilling. Oh, I think
1: that you know, and, and it was a lot of it in Vietnam that if if you could look at your day and going, are, are people going to be better off from having me in their lives today? Mm. And if if at the end of the day that a, a person is better off from having interacted with you or they've got a new slant on something or they uh, you've been able to boost their confidence or make them feel better about themselves that's success
0: yeah
1: because we're human and we put so much emphasis on money and it's 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 the cheapest capital i mean that the the human capital we create has so much more value long term and and it keeps growing
0: and it it makes you feel better yeah
1: money's expendable like you have it you spend it you um,
0: it's just another commodity. It's
1: another thing, you know, c- coming home at night, and I'm sure you do with, with your dog. But coming home to a dog, and it doesn't care what you've done today; it just cares what you're going to do now around them and, and interact and and be happy and be present. I, I think for animals, it's being present. They know when you're present. Yeah. And if you're engaging, and if you can treat people the same way, I think you get a hu-
0: you get a huge hu- reward a huge huge, huge reward out of it. And so, just quickly talking about you know what it is that makes you happy today what are your you know what are some of the what's what are some of the goals that you've got for the next few years i know it's very hard in such a fast paced changing environment to define what the goals are and and a timeline on the goals but do you have a big audacious dream that you that you'd like to share with us today, before we before we I think, we end I think once you share it,
1: you to actually achieve it. It's hard, um, isn't it? I've seen
0: that. They say don't t- don't tell anyone.
1: If if you chances
0: if, are, if you verbalise it, you won't do it.
1: Oh yeah, the, the the devil loves you talking about your plans.
0: Am I hexing it?
1: No, I think what.
0: Well, maybe don't tell me your biggest audacious. No, dream. Maybe I think. Tell me one that you I don't
1: think what what I've, I've 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 approached the yak track. Um, opportunity with, with a different mindset around building teams and organisations. And I think I'd like that to be successful. I'd like that to work not only for the product to work but also for the way we build a team, that we bring in sole entrepreneurs, that I actually have very few nine-to-five superannuation-based, holiday-based staff. I bring in teams of people as I require. So quite
0: dynamic, quite fluid.
1: Dynamic and we're about outcome. We're completely outcome-focused. We're not worried about. And I, I find that if I get someone, a really good person three days a week, they will beat two people working full-time 40 hours every day of the week because they're free to do. They don't have got the time to do something else. They're not bound by doing the menial work in the company. I, 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 I watch within Huddle particularly when you get really smart people and when you've got a project flow that they end up doing menial tasks or they they're, they're writing reports or they're helping with a, a sales deck. They don't want to do that. They didn't come to do that. So you, you want to harness the people to do what they do well and only that. I think sometimes and let them have their own interests externally. I see, and I, I see a generation in the workforce that will want that. I think.
0: I think people will want to do more than the one thing that they're good at, though, because how do you learn new skills if you're just doing
1: what you've I think that – but but it's – they will ask. And what I found recently is I think, oh, you're doing that. Would you mind – is there a role for me to do that rather than the traditional company way of telling me to do something? If people want to opt in, that's fine and that's great and I'll always, yeah. I'll always um, try and honour that where I can. But um, – there's a lot of stuff that goes into a company, and 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 one of the things with running a, a a human-centered design firm like Huddle is, you you one of the things you say is you bring everyone on board, and one of the things I found is that's really cool and groovy when you when when your sales trajectory is up and you're making money. When you hit bumps in the road, ah, uh, they don't want to know about you. Mm-hmm. They they their their blinkers on and the ears are blocked and the headphones are on and that's your problem. I want to have input when we're going well and there's money to spend. When it's actually a bit of a street fight, um, people disappear, mm. and I found that really interesting. So the whole holocracy or the, that Zappos model of um, that flat, the flat version and no management, no leaders. I think that's that's uh, an innovation experiment that failed, and we'll get better at doing it. And I think there's something in between with that. But the the end of the day, you've, you've got to have people that. Um, uh, are willing to be the one that? What does someone say, recently? What does the CEO do? The, the CEO is responsible for the success or the failure of the company.
0: Oh,
1: it starts with you, the and it ends with you.
0: with you. It
1: starts and stops, it stops with, with you. you. And how do? You, and can you share that? I'm I'm not sure we've got a way to do that yet.
0: So, ending on a lighter note. <laughs>
1: and i did see i didn't i didn't get to tell you what i was planning either
0: <laughs> well what i was wanting to know was where do you see yourself in 5 years do you see yourself sitting on a beach somewhere do you see yourself working as hard as you're working today i mean what would you like to be doing today in 5 years time
1: i i, I think there's 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 a and this this is a this it might come out as a, as, as a bit of, in the wrong way, but I think we have an obligation that um, people like myself and, and even yourself, Lizzie, that when you um, you're experienced, you're educated, you're smart, and you've been around, that you've got to be giving back. And I think that generations coming through need to learn from the lessons that we that we have in our um, in, in, in our repertoire. And I, I don't think. We, we will. I think the whole retirement thing is a bit of a joke, and it's a government con. I am and, getting
0: and- a complete sense from you that every time I've asked the question, you are just going to keep working. It's like I'll oh, just be working, Lizzie. What do you mean? What am I going to be doing in five years? What I'm yeah. sensing is, yeah. uh, I'll be working. I'll be doing what I love. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, yeah, and, and sometimes like you get when, just when you're when you're talking, there's a real vivaciousness about you and i get a sense that you really love
1: what you do I, I i love it and i look at um like my father from perth was over recently and um he's in, involved in the afl on a voluntary basis but he's an ambassador and he was invited to st petersburg to set up the st petersburg cats wow
0: that's incredible
1: so he went he was a guest of a guy in st petersburg he went to the annual conference in amsterdam he's not getting paid but he's happy and he's and he's he's, he's He's bringing all his work experience mm. and his lifetime of, of, of being in business and and being around sport and is helping younger people make sense of it. So it's, and, it's
0: him giving back. So in a way what you're saying is I'd like to be a bit like my dad and be in a position to be able to give back to those future generations because well, I've yeah. got something that I can offer.
1: I, and, and that's um, – I learnt that very early on in, in, in lacrosse when – an obligation. If you made a state team at your club, you had to go back and coach. So you'd coach the juniors under you. Now, even if you're only 16, you're coaching kids that were nine or 10. Mm. But it's that because I was coached by great players, and that were Australian players, and that you you learn that, that that's how that's, it, that, that's how the tribe works. Yeah. That if you stop doing that, if you go, "What's mine is mine," and the rest of you can get staffed, it's a zero sum game. Mm. Because you're not you can't take it with you that if you want to leave something meaningful on the road, the the, the legacy is other people. Mm. It's not it's not a eighty story building. It's not a park named after you. It's that there are people that it's will, the
0: community. It's a
1: community now. that you make that are better and whether they know you or not, it's it's you know have have a value in existing and that and if you stop being part of people's lives, you'll stop adding value.
0: I think that's a great way to end for someone who is interested in the human side of the digital revolution.
1: <laughs> thank you. So thank
0: you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. And I hope, and I hope
1: Chacha did as well, so we'll wait on that verdict Chacha's, for later. Chacha's
0: asleep, everyone, just saying. Chacha's asleep, so I think Paul passed the test. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm going to hold you to coming in again in maybe six months' time and letting me know how you're going with Track and, and how things are moving along there.
1: Would love to. Fantastic. Thanks, okay, Lizzie. Thanks so much. Okay.